Welcome to the latest episode of British History, Royals, Rebels, and Romantics, the podcast for people who understand that history shows us what's possible for us in our lives today. I'm Carol Ann Lloyd, your host and tour guide as we travel back in time. We're shaking up history to look at the stories that don't always make the history books, to consider famous and infamous characters in new and interesting ways, and to look for all the things that we share even when we're living in different times and places. I hope you enjoy this journey through the royals, rebels, and romantics of Britain. Now, let's explore history together. She was the youngest woman to be crowned Queen of England. She was the second queen to marry while ruling and the first to have children while on the throne. She oversaw extraordinary changes in the country, as well as the establishment of the British Empire. She became Empress of India. By the time of her death, she had ruled longer than any other monarch. With such a long reign, covering decades of world events, there's no shortage of reading material about Queen Victoria and her time. I've chosen a few of my favorite books about Queen Victoria. Of course, it's not an exhaustive list, and it's based on my preferences. So many of the books about Victoria seem to put her into a box that limits her to marriage and motherhood. It's not entirely surprising, with an overstated devotion to Prince Albert and a stunning number of children in the royal nursery, marriage and motherhood were the most obvious things about her. But sometimes the most obvious and public elements of our lives aren't the most important. I wanted to know other things about Victoria. As a young woman coming into power, as a new queen who made mistakes, as a working mother who had to balance her reality with the expectations of her time, as a daughter and a mother navigating complicated family relationships, and as a woman who finally allowed herself to celebrate her accomplishments and broke into a big smile, belying the old adage, we are not amused. So please join me to meet this extraordinary and complicated woman and explore some of the books about the life and reign of Queen Victoria. Victoria was fifth in line to the throne when she was born and was expected to move further away from the throne as she grew up. After all, her parents were expected to produce a son, and it was possible the Duke of Kent's older brothers might have a child who would take precedence. After Victoria's father died, it seemed less and less likely that other children were coming to the royal family to bump her down the line of succession. Victoria's mother began to prepare for the very real possibility that Victoria would one day be Queen of England. Unfortunately, the Duchess turned to the ambitious and controversial Sir John Conroy as her key advisor. Conroy saw Victoria's place in the royal succession as a way to secure the regency for himself. He convinced the Duchess to establish a controlling educational regime for Victoria that was known as the Kensington System. This was designed to make Victoria utterly reliant on them. She was forbidden to be alone or spend time with other children. She was required to sleep in her mother's room. She couldn't even walk down the stairs by herself without an older person holding her hand. Victoria later described her childhood as very unhappy. But even more problematic than her unhappiness was Victoria's not being prepared for the role of Queen of England. She rebounded from her strict upbringing 
by reveling in her time alone, by eating whatever she wanted despite health concerns, and by making decisions based on personal resentments against her mother and Conroy rather than on sound thinking, such as when she stumbled into a terrible blunder with Lady Flora Hastings. Throughout her reign, the nature of the monarchy and the power of the crown were changing. As the empire expanded around the world, and as she was proclaimed Empress of India, her prime ministers were gaining power. She had a complicated relationship with prime ministers, from an unpopular and very close relationship with Lord Melbourne, and an appreciative relationship with the flattering Benjamin Disraeli, to the difficult and sometimes unproductive relationships with Lord Russell and Lord Palmerston. The nature of the British monarchy came from a medieval notion of the kings, and in those days it was always a king, having two bodies, a body natural that could be ill and weak and even die, and a body politic that was destined by God to rule the country and passed immediately from the dead monarch to the heir. This is what held up the nation's the king is dead, long live the king approach to leadership. There had been queens who were married before, and there was a queen who was a mother, Queen Anne. But Queen Anne came to the throne after her last child was born. There had never been a monarch before Victoria who was expected to have her body bear the heir to the throne while she was ruling the country. And the babies kept coming. The queen had nine living children, and they all survived to adulthood. That was an extraordinary thing for the time, particularly for a woman so small in stature. And it happened within 17 years, all nine children. And then those children went on to have plenty of children themselves. Victoria and Albert strategically married their children to the royal families of Europe. Eventually, Victoria had 42 grandchildren spread among the royal families of Germany, Russia, Greece, Romania, Sweden, Norway, and Spain. From being the first monarch to live in Buckingham Palace, to having more living children than anyone on the throne, to reigning longer than any monarch before her, and every monarch after her, until Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II passed Victoria in length of reign in 2015, Queen Victoria was truly a game changer. And here are a few of the books that will help you get to know Queen Victoria. The Life and Times of Victoria by Dorothy Marshall. This is a classic, published back in 1972. Lady Antonia Fraser, in her introduction, calls this take on Victoria's life a, quote, wise and perceptive study. I find Lady Antonia Fraser's books to be some of the best biographies on the planet. So that's a comment I take seriously. The book includes a wonderful assessment of visuals, including reproductions of famous portraits we're familiar with, as well as images of newspaper pages, photographs, sketches, and even cartoons. There are so many images you won't find more than two or three pages of text before you come across another picture. This makes the book really easy to read and helps readers look at ways different people lived and worked and played in Victoria's time. The book offers a comprehensive overview of the Queen's life, from her girlhood to her final days. Marshall's tone is a straightforward and direct, providing a compelling narrative through the milestones of the Queen's life and reign. 
It's a really great resource. I have a wonderful older version, which I love. It has been republished. The most recent edition I could find was 1998. Victoria the Queen by Julia Baird. This is a comprehensive and engaging look at the life of Queen Victoria that was published more recently in 2016. The book includes several charts and maps, descriptions of the family and key characters involved in the discussion. It is a deep dive into the life of a complicated woman. One of the things this biography offers is a version of Victoria that doesn't hold back. She loves Albert, but resents having to share her power with him. She enjoys physical intimacy with Albert, but does not enjoy being pregnant or giving birth or having children. Rather than portraying Victoria as simply the staid, quiet widow of Windsor, as so many authors have done, Baird gives her a racy side, describing a scene between her and John Brown that might make some readers blush. And no, I'm not sharing it. You'll have to read it yourself. Baird discovers this description, as well as other very personal information about the Queen, from the diaries of Sir James Reed, Victoria's doctor. Sir James had accidentally observed the playful scene between the Queen and Brown, and he recorded it. Here's an example of Baird offering something that other biographies have not. In addition to examining Queen Victoria's own diaries, which unfortunately were so heavily edited by her family as to eliminate any potentially controversial material, Baird looks at other records such as Reed's. In an interview about the book, Baird said she wanted to show more of Victoria's true nature, not the one edited into propriety. In her words, I wanted to see her as a flesh and blood woman. Baird's Victoria is extremely compelling and engaging. She is flawed, but knows it, which makes her easier to cheer for. She has a sense of justice ahead of her time, hating racial and religious prejudice. She was brave in the face of real danger, surviving eight assassination attempts and continuing to bay out in public right after them. Born in a time when the world was remaking itself, Queen Victoria became the most powerful queen and the most famous working mother in the world. She fought for her independence in her own way, managing uneven relationships with family members, keeping the men working alongside her happy, recovering from childbirth and coping with what would probably be diagnosed today as postpartum depression, and fighting for power at a time when women really didn't have any. Baird paints a compelling and fresh picture of the remarkable queen. Then there are two books that focus on the long and unintended impact of Victoria and Albert's children and grandchildren, Victoria's Daughters by Gerald M. Packard and Queen Victoria's Matchmaking, The Royal Marriages That Shaped Europe by Deborah Cadbury. Packard includes a helpful principal character section in Victoria's Daughters so the reader can have a handy reference to who marries who and which children belong to which couple. It's a stunning group that feels a bit like the who's who of the late 19th and early 20th century. Sharing bits of correspondence between the queen and her daughters allows readers to see them interacting as family members, seeking and giving advice, offering comfort, and sharing stories. 
Albert features prominently in the book. Too prominently. Packard states that it's Albert who has the emotional relationship with his children, particularly his daughters. Packard's Albert is innocent of ulterior motives when Victoria becomes pregnant repeatedly, while many other authors see Albert as taking advantage of Victoria's being the one who had to be pregnant and then had to bear the children as a way to gain power. In Packard's version, Victoria asks Albert for help, and Albert comes to the rescue, immediately gaining praise and appreciation from the Queen's male advisors. When Victoria gives birth to her ninth child, Packard describes this as being accompanied by the, quote, welcome relief of anesthesia, as if that wipes away what it caused Victoria to suffer through nine pregnancies and births. As you might have guessed, although I appreciate the idea of focusing on Victoria's daughters and using bits of their correspondence to show their relationships, I don't like the condescending way that Packard writes about these women. He describes Albert as, quote, captaining the monarchy with the authority that the queen had abdicated to him, which is at best a one-sided view of a complicated relationship and at worst, a demeaning description that believes in a man's natural superiority, even though the man in question was a husband who kept his royal wife pregnant so he could take over her work, having none of his own. So why have I included this book here? Well, for one thing, it provides an excellent comparison to show the way Baird's and other examples of Victoria are so much more relevant and powerful. And it does make an attempt to look at Victoria's daughters in a focused way. These women lived at the heart of history. Vicky's son, Willie, grew up to be Kaiser Wilhelm. And Alice's daughter, Alexandra, grew up to marry Nicholas II of Russia. Daughters of Victoria and mothers of the key figures in some of the most significant events of the 20th century. It's a great idea to focus on them. I just think it's too bad that Packard didn't check his sexism at the door before he wrote the book. Deborah Cadbury's book, on the other hand, is a terrific exploration of the way that Victoria and Albert plan to use their children's marriages and their grandchildren's marriages to create a family dynasty that stretched across Europe. Queen Victoria continued this after Albert's death. She assertively arranged marriages for all 42 grandchildren. The goal was to yoke the countries together through royal alliances, avoiding the wars of the Napoleonic Age. This book takes readers through the most glamorous and decadent palaces and families of Russia and Europe. The main characters are family members and politicians at the same time, moving among scandals and relationships that would change the world. The greatest politician is the queen herself, referred to toward the end of her life as the grandmother of Europe. Perceived by some in her country as an elderly woman that left the world behind, in fact, she was attempting to manipulate and recreate the world. Seven of her grandchildren eventually became crowned rulers. But, of course, the plan failed spectacularly. The enormous shifts in worldwide politics was completely at odds with Victoria and Albert's plan. The two of them envisioned Germany and Britain working together to shepherd Europe through trials and into a glorious future, strengthened by a family network that created unbreakable bonds. Even as we read the initial naive planning, we can't 
help but think of the series of tragedies that followed. Economic strife led to violent uprisings and the overthrow of traditional centers of power. Revolution and war seethed just below the surface for years and eventually broke out, shattering Victoria's matchmaking plans and eventually leaving Europe in the ruins of war. The final pages take us into the fall of the Romanovs. Alexandra and her children huddle together against the showers of bullets that at first fail to kill them. Of course, eventually the family members were all dead, and when the corpses were examined, they found layers of, quote, protection were the royal jewels sewn into their dresses. The women were trying to conceal the jewels for their flight out of Russia. It's a powerful image of the trappings of royalty manning to delay, but not ultimately prevent, death at the hands of political radicals. As powerful a queen as Victoria had been, she was unable to hold back the floods of change. Cadbury's book plunges us right into her attempt and its lasting failure. So those are some of the books I find really helpful to get to know the amazing Queen Victoria. I would love to hear your suggestions. Next week, we'll be looking at some of my favorite books about another really interesting group, The Women of the Wars of the Roses. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share with a friend. Do send any questions or comments. I'd love to hear from you where we should explore next. And please subscribe and leave a review. I'd really appreciate it. I'm so glad we could explore history together. Till next time. (music) 